I like to uh, daydream. Does anyone like to daydream? I like to daydream about time travel. Does anyone like to daydream about time travel? Like, I'm not alone in this group. Wow. I like it. You're my people. Um, Sometimes I will daydream about going back in time and talking to my younger self and giving my younger self wisdom. Uh, Anyone ever done that? You guys are my kind of nerds, right? Um, Lately, though, I've been daydreaming about my older self coming to speak to me now. You follow? And I've been thinking, like, because it's kind of easy to say, like, what would I say to myself if I went back, like, 10 years and said, spoke to my 10, you know, 10, 10 year younger self, what would I say? Like, you can comprehend that. But if you really want to uh, have a little bit of a mind trip is consider what your older self 10 years from now would say to you now. And here's the question that I want to pose to you tonight. If you knew what the future had in store for yourself, would you live differently? Because we're looking at Revelation, which is a book about the future, and the Apostle John gets this vision, this glimpse of the future, and he tells us some future stuff. And if we can get it, then I think it might actually matter for how we live our lives today. So we're in Revelation 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. It says this. So this is John sharing with us. He says, uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And so here, John is getting this glimpse of the future, and he tells us a number of things that he sees. And what do we see that he sees? He sees a new heaven and a new earth. So the current heaven and earth, heaven and earth as we know it, are no more. That's what he's saying. Um, He's not saying that God is going to take the heaven and earth that we know currently and somehow, like, improve it. He's, He's saying the first heaven and the first earth, what we know right now, has passed away. Try to comprehend that if you can. That the earth as you know it and the heavens... Right, the, the, the universe, the galaxy, the stars, the planets, all that is gone. Right? It's gone. It's passed away. It is no more. There's something completely and entirely different, something new. Something new. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that in God's eternal plan, his plan of redemption, it includes a new heavens and a new earth, because I think we could all say, like, things are not what they ought to be here on earth. Yes? And so the idea that God would make something new, we could say, oh, that sounds good to me. Uh, A little newness can be good. Uh, But what I want you to imagine for a moment is that which is really incomprehensible, and that is something entirely different. Just notice the little phrase that he says here. He says, verse 1, the sea was no more. All right, so 71% of the earth's composition is water. And if the sea is no more... That means that it's a new earth. It looks different. Even the composition of the earth is different. It's something different than what we understand the earth to be currently. 
we can kind of try to envision something, but we really don't know. We really don't know. There are, though, some distinguishing characteristics that he tells us here. So basically he's saying, look, it's going to change. Things are going to be different. There's going to be a new heavens. There's going to be a new earth. It's going to be different than what you can imagine. You can't really imagine what it's going to be like. But I'm going to tell you about a couple of things that will be in this new, this new reality. Some distinguishing characteristics. The first is this. He says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, coming out of heaven from God. And so here we see this idea of not just Jerusalem, but New Jerusalem coming down. Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem represents the presence and place of God. And this is not an, well, old Jerusalem needs to be a little bit better. Well, let's improve it a little bit, and then we, we can have it. But rather, God's going to make something completely new. A new city. A new city. And we're told a little bit about this city. What are we told? We're, said, we're told that... This city is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so the city that's coming down is prepared and it's beautiful like a bride. Right, when we think of that marriage imagery, what, what, what do we always think of? Oh, the, the, the bride in the white dress and she's coming down the aisle and everyone stands up and everyone looks at her and that's a moment to behold the beauty of the bride. And what John is saying is he's saying as the city came down, it was like that. Everyone paused and they were beholding the beauty of this city. Do you like beauty? Do you like really good design? Do you like architecture, like really beautiful architecture? Do you have this ability in yourself that when you see something beautiful, it'll move you? And you can experience that, that kind of beholding of beauty? Wow. Those colors, that sh those shapes, that's beautiful. If you like beauty and architecture and design, you're going to love the new Jerusalem. Because it's going to be more beautiful than any city you have ever seen. It's going to be better than any, any building you've ever seen. And it's going to move you deep in your heart and in your soul. And you will behold the beauty of the city. Which pales in comparison to the beauty of the one in whom the city belongs. Because he uses this imagery of a bride who's being prepared for her husband. And in this illustration here... He's basically saying the city has been prepared for Christ himself. The way that a bride would prepare herself for her husband on her wedding day, God has prepared this city, this beautiful, glorious city, and it's been prepared for God, who is the centerpiece of the city itself. Now, notice, notice verses kind of 5b into the beginning of verse Six, he says this, uh, also he uh, said, so this is Jesus speaking, Jesus says, uh, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Right, the Alpha and Omega, that's the, the, the kind of Greek al alphabet, the beginning and the end of the alphabet. This language here is basically saying that Jesus is the eternal one. Even Jesus himself is saying, I'm the eternal one without beginning and end. Think of this. God is creator. God is the uncaused cause. 
God is the originator. Before time and space existed, God. That God spoke creation into existence. And by the power of his word, that's how powerful he is. He just speaks. By the power of his word, reality as we know it came into being. The laws of nature, the, 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 the confines of space and matter and substance, all of these things, boom, they are because God spoke. And God was there before the beginning of time and after Time is no more because there's a new heavens and a new earth has been created. A new fabric of reality, God will be there. Eternity past, God is there. Eternity future, God is there. He is the beginning and the end. And we see here his magnificence and his preeminence in he that, in that he is the one who creates and makes and shapes and forms. And what does he say? He says, it is done. And what is this? It's a declaration. It's a promise. It's a proclamation. He's saying, look, that plan of redemption that the Father and I and the Spirit came up with so long ago, it has been fulfilled. It is done. It is complete. New heavens, new earth, new city. And so we see here Christ himself proclaiming that the work that he set out to do a long time ago has been complete. Now, in this, I want you to notice a few things that we're told here about what Jesus has done, what he is going to do, at least from our perspective of space and time right now, right? Because we're thinking of future things. We see this now as him speaking as though it's already happened. The first thing we see is this. Number one is that Jesus is going to make all things new. So this is verse 5a where he says, behold, I am making all things new. I want you to consider this for a moment. He says, I'm making all things new. Not some things, not a few things, all things so this isn't just new universe, new galaxies, new earth. It's all of that and more. All things new. Humanity. How about this? He's making all things new. New you. All things new. We experience life in a broken state. We ourselves are broken to be made new is to be made whole. What a glorious day. But that's not all that he does. We see the second thing, and that is that Jesus is going to satisfy the thirsty. We see this in the second part of verse 6. He gives a promise here. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. All right, we all have this God-sized hole in our hearts, a longing a desire, a craving. We, we feel empty at times. That's that God-sized hole in the heart. And, and what do we need? We need to be filled up. We feel empty, right? We're thirsty. And if you've ever tried to satisfy yourself, what do you find? You find that you can drink and you can drink and you can drink of all manner of things on this earth and nothing will satisfy you. 
It doesn't matter what it is. Okay? You, you can say, I'm thirsty, and you go to some entertainment, drink, 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 drink. Maybe you get a little bit full, and then two seconds later, I'm thirsty again. Right? You can say, oh, I'm thirsty. You can go to another person and think, oh, this person will fulfill me. Drink, 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 drink. Maybe you get a little bit full, and then a few minutes later, ah, I'm thirsty again. It's the same with all things, right? Whether you're drinking of sex or substances or so-called wealth or success, you drink, 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 your tummy gets full, and then five minutes later, you're thirsty again. And yet what Jesus says here is he says, look, if you're thirsty, that means you're empty. And if you're empty, I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to satisfy you. And the thirst that you have, that longing will be met with the satisfaction and your thirst will finally, ultimately be quenched. That's not, not all he's going to do. The third thing we see here is that Jesus is going to give an inheritance. In verse 7 he says, uh, The one who conquers will have this inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And so here we see this language of family, right? I'll be his God, he'll be my son. I'll be his God, she will be my daughter, right? This language of family. We want love and acceptance. We find ourselves in a world filled with people and yet always feeling alone, lonely, seeking out some kind of connection. And here we see Jesus saying, I'm going to give you the ultimate connection and you're going to belong. Right? The, the loneliness, the isolation will be met and fulfilled with your true family, the family of God. And so here what we see is Jesus speaking of things that he has and is and will be doing, but he's speaking them of them in the past tense because at this point in time and space, he's already done it. Right? He, he, he's, he's already done it. Right? You're broken. I made you whole. Right? You were thirsty. I quenched your thirst. You were lonely. I gave you belonging and connection with God. And this is the future things that he says. And what I want you to understand is that these aren't arbitrary words written on a page. This isn't, you know, John the Apostle on the island of Patmos having some kind of weird, wild acid trip, just seeing crazy stuff. This is a divine revelation from God himself showing and speaking of things that will be. And if you look closely at verse 5, kind of the second part, it says, And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is Jesus basically saying, look, what I'm saying is real. This is a promise. It's a promise to you. Consider it as such. But... As much as we hear these things and we think, this is good, I like this, this sounds wonderful, 
There's also, though, some sobriety, a warning also mixed in with these words of Jesus. If we look at verse 8, he says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is a warning. It's a warning. This is what's going to happen. You're going to physically die, and when you physically die, right, you, you are material and spiritual, right? You're material and immaterial. Physical body, spiritual soul, you're an embodied soul. When you physically die, your soul, your spirit will go to be in the presence of the Lord immediately. But at some point, you'll be resurrected, and you'll receive a resurrected body. And every person will be resurrected, believer or unbeliever, will all be resurrected to stand before the, before the Lord Jesus, and we'll experience a day of judgment. And those who have accepted Jesus and belong to Jesus and love Jesus will receive eternal life. And those who have rejected Jesus and wanted nothing to do with him will receive the you know, second death, which is eternal death. Basically, God will say, you didn't want me, I give you that. You'll experience, experience apart from God, which is a little bit hard to comprehend because no one has ever experienced experience apart from God on earth because God's presence is everywhere. And yet we're told there would be a, a second death that comes. And look at the way he describes it. He says that it's uh, in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So imagine being fully consumed with fire. I can't imagine hardly anything more terrible than that. And yet, to be out of the presence of God, to be cut off from God, that's what it's like. So basically, this is a warning, right? Jesus is saying, look, there's this beautiful future that's going to happen. But those who will experience are those who love me and follow me and belong to me. And those who don't aren't going to experience it. It's a sober warning. Now, what we see for those who do follow Jesus is even more to these promises that he gives. If we look at verses 3 and 4, John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so here we see the dwelling place of God is with man. The, 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 the phrase, dwelling place of God, that, that phrase, it literally means to live in a tent. I know that sounds weird, but it's the, it's the idea of tabernacle, tent dwelling. And this is a loaded phrase, right? It's a loaded phrase. If you think throughout, if you think throughout like the storyline of scripture, what you see is that in, in the beginning there, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden and they walk in the cool of the day in the presence of the Lord. There's this experience of the presence of God, but then they rebel against God and they're removed from the garden. As time goes on, you see a lost people who eventually are brought back into the fold through the covenant of Abraham, which then eventually goes to the covenant of Moses. And then all of a sudden you see these people, these people that 
need God, who belong to God, but live at odds with God a lot oftentimes, the Israelites in the wilderness. And then what happens? God gives them a tabernacle. He tents with them. And the tabernacle represents the presence of God, the dwelling place of God with his people. As time goes on, the tent, the tabernacle is no more. And in the city of Jerusalem, they build the temple. And then the temple represents the place of God. And the Holy of Holies is the dwelling place of God. And the temple then it becomes the place of God. As time goes on, we see that God himself takes on flesh and lives among us. And then we're told that he tabernacles with his people, right? That God in the flesh lives with us as one of us. And, and then there's this experience of God on earth. But then as time goes on, after Jesus dies and rises and then ascends into heaven, God, the spirit comes. And then the spirit of God dwells within us and we become the tabernacle of God as the spirit dwells within us. And then as time goes on, we see Jesus making a new heavens and a new earth. And in doing so, the new city of God dwells on earth. And once again, God tabernacles or dwells with his people face to face. Right? So it begins with uh, a garden, presence of God face to face. It ends with a new city, presence of God face to face. And this experience of God is one in which all that has gone wrong is made right. Right? No, no suffering. You say amen to that? Right? No sickness. Amen? Right? No, no pain and sorrow and hardship, depression, right? Anxiety, loneliness, broken bodies. None of this. No suffering. No sickness, no sin, no death. Amen? God with his people, face to face, together forever. Right? That's it. That's the promise. That's the future. And this is eternity future. I would encourage you to take the, the, the kind of caricature of heaven that you've been given and crumble it up like a piece of paper and throw it in the trash. Because most likely you were told at some point in your life, oh, well, you know, we're going to go and we're going to be in heaven with God. And then, you know, some, someone then created an idea where it's like these floaty clouds and people with harps and blah, 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 and we're floating around, right? Um, I'm, I can't prove this, but my theory is that I think that idea of heaven was created by cartoonists in the 60s and 70s who were straight up doing drugs. <laughs> Seriously. They were getting mad crazy on some all kinds of crazy drugs and then coming up with some crazy stuff. And then a whole generation of people grew up watching that stuff. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Go back and watch some Looney Tunes and stuff like that, man. It's some crazy stuff. But, but this idea of heaven isn't, it isn't biblical because what's biblical is new heavens, new earth, new city of God, God with his people together to, uh, face to face forever, right? It's, it's quite literally heaven on earth, but it's not even that. It's actually new heaven on new earth. That's what it is. Right? In, in our experience of that new reality is going to be so different and yet so much better than what we have now. And yet, that is our future, and that's what we have to look forward to. And so I want you to try to imagine that for a moment, if you can. 
I want you to personalize this, okay? If you, if you will, personalize this. I want you to think about, right? I want you to think about all the stuff that's wrong with you and your life, right? You don't even have to think about all that. Think about, like, the, what's the number one thing that you hate about yourself or you're ashamed about yourself, okay? That one thing that you're like, I wish... I could change this, but you can't change it. Guess what? Jesus is going to change that. That's not going to exist in the future. The thing that you go, this is what I feel like a curse wrapped around me, will be broken and removed and gone forever. And you will be giving something glorious. Resurrection body, resurrection life, resurrection eternity, something new, something better. Now, I want you to think about this. What would it take for you to live in light of that truth right now? Right? Like, what if your future self that's experiencing this beautiful new reality was able to come back to your now self and speak to you about that future reality, what do you think your future self would say to your now self? How would your future self, you know, comfort your now self? I'm, I'm sure there's some things that your future self would say, you know? How much time and energy do we take wallowing in the folly and fallenness that we're in? A lot. And there's good reason for that, right? Because there's a lot of brokenness that we experience in life on earth. It's very difficult and painful, right? That's, that's a reality. But future self who's been freed of all that knows something else. And if we could just get a glimpse of it, I believe that would radically change the way we experience life now. How many of you um, have ever seen like the old uh, 80s movie, Back to the Future? Anybody seen this? Yeah, okay. I figured, I figured many of you had. If you, if, if, I'm talking about the first one, right? The first one. What happens at the first one? Uh, you know, Doc... Goes into the future. And then like a couple minutes later, not even a minute later, he comes back from the future. And what is he? He's like, Marty, uh, there's a problem. What's the problem, Doc? It's your kids, Marty. They're a mess. You got to come with me to the future. He's got to go to the future so he can see how messed up his kids are. So he can go back to the past so that he can live differently so that the future will be different. You get that? He's like saying, look, you got to see this glimpse of the future so that you can come back and live differently. And I think John is writing to us this vision because the Spirit of God wants you to see a glimpse of the future so that you can come back to now and live differently. All right? So that you can live differently. And that's the kind of big idea, the heart of the matter. When you know the future, you know how to live now. Right? And so... My encouragement to you is live in light 
of the future. All right, live in light of the future. And constantly be reminding yourself, reading this section of Scripture, praying on this section of Scripture, reminding yourself of what is yet to come but will be. I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you for this glimpse of future. And Jesus, we know that it is abundantly more than we can even comprehend. Even when we read these words on a page and we see this description of the new heavens and a new earth and a new city of God, the new Jerusalem and this, this beautiful city who is nothing in comparison to you, Christ, who are even more beautiful and glorious. Uh, we're told elsewhere that you are at the center of the city and you actually are the one who lights up the city and gives it illumination. And that from your glory, your magnificent, your beauty, Jesus is uh, the kind of light that we live by in this new city. Uh, and even though we can you know, read these words and we can somewhat a little bit start to envision it, we can't really fully grasp the magnitude of this new reality. I do pray and I ask Holy Spirit that you would start to stretch our imagination so that we could see that there is something abundantly better waiting. That, that there is something abundantly better happening. Because Jesus, we know that right now you're in the heavens preparing this place for us. That even right now you are about this work of redemption and God, you have started a work of redemption and you will see it to completion. And there will come a day where, Jesus, you will say, it is done. And we long for that day, we pray for that day, and we wait in an eager anticipation for that day. But until that day, we ask God, help us to live with a vision of future so that we can live towards that direction. In, in, in our emptiness, God, fill us up. In our brokenness, make us whole. In our loneliness, meet us and give us belonging and connection. And Jesus, we just, we just say you are enough for us, even when we don't feel like it. But we do, Jesus, pray in those places of discouragement, doubt, despair, depression. May you meet us and minister to us and help us. Help us as we strive in agony, anticipating something better. We pray this all, Christ, in your good name. Amen.